Hello, and welcome to Home Space and Reason, a podcast about creating a home that thrives. Hi there, I'm Christina Browning, your host. If you know your home could be so much more than it is, I discuss home functionality, aesthetics, and automation. I'm the home functionality coach and realtor. I geek out on various subjects regarding your home and yard, challenging you to think of your space differently to get the most out of every square foot. I pose questions for you to think through about your space and your reason. This podcast is all positive, offering you virtual fist bumps and celebrating every win. Remember, there's no such thing as perfect, but you can still aim for your best every day. Episode 3 Welcome and thanks for joining me today. It's so good to have you back. I have been so encouraged by all the positive feedback I've been getting from all of you, so thank you so much. Let's talk about cooking. Day in and day out, the grind of it, right? And let's talk about it as it relates to two of the three things that I often speak on, which is home functionality and automation. According to CNBC, the number of Americans who enjoy cooking is declining. For some Americans, going out to dinner is a treat planned, budgeted for, But for others, it's like every night. Only 10% of consumers said they love cooking. 45% say they outright hate it, leaving the remaining 45% on the fence, middle of the road. Let's talk about time. Between 2014 and 2016, the average American adult spent per day about 64 minutes eating and drinking as a primary activity. 16.8 minutes eating as a secondary activity, like snacking while working. This, of course, was less for parents with children than those that are child-free, which is no surprise. These numbers are based on a real study of many thousands of people, which I'll link to on our Facebook group Home Space and Reason page. Another surprise for me is that Americans spend on average of 37 minutes a day preparing, serving, and cleaning up. Total! Wow, I spend more than that. However, might it be because I enjoy my kitchen and my dining area? If we view these daily tasks more as an experience and a joy and less as a chore because we have great tools, a pan that is a dream to handle, sharp knives, a large clean countertop to work on, maybe we dread it less. If the kitchen smells good, has good light, you know, all the stuff. All the stuff we've thought of in advance so we actually like being in there. So let's talk about that, because that's what I do. When dissecting how to make a process easier or a space to function better, pay attention to the points of the process of meal planning, shopping, cooking, that give you the most rub, that irritate you the most. Your home is the framework for your life. So take some time to consider what bits of it, specific to your kitchen, your cooking, your meal prep, that make you crazy. How does this really work for me and my family? What are my hang-ups specific to my kitchen and the sub-compartments within it? 
So maybe thinking of it in terms of the entire kitchen is too overwhelming. But when you're looking at specifically my stove, my oven, the area where I'm cooking, actively heating up food, what parts drive me crazy? Are there any? Do you have a separate prep space? Is it big enough? Are your tools easily accessible? All of those things you need to notice as if you're standing outside of yourself and watching the next time you prepare a meal. So here are the questions to ask yourself about your kitchen space and your reason. In the kitchen functionality category, are things where they should be? Sensible storage planning puts everyday items neatly where they're used the most. Like for example, items that should be kept nearest your stove would be cooking utensils, spices, oils, etc. Your knives should probably live near your sink or cutting board or both. Your glasses should be near the fridge or sink and so forth. Are the glasses that you use most often at the bottom of your upper bank of cupboards or shelves so that they're easiest to access? Watch yourself in third person as you move through your kitchen. Second question is, what do you use most and are those tools a pleasure to use? Do you have a great set of sharp knives? A chef's knife is the workhorse of the kitchen and nothing makes me more crazy than when I go to someone's house and try to help out in the kitchen and I feel literally like I'm cutting a tomato with a toothbrush. If you do own quality knives, are they sharp? I'll tell you what, that was me. I was in that boat. I had great knives, but they hadn't been sharpened in forever. And so last year, I kind of had an epiphany. My husband's like, babe, what do you want for your birthday? And I'm thinking, I have enough stuff. But wow, I'm in that kitchen every day. And some days I really enjoy it. And other days, not so much. So what would help me to love my time in the kitchen more. Man, sharpening my knives was top of mind. And I said, I think I literally want my knives sharpened as a birthday present. And he was like, consider it done. It's one of those things that's tremendously easy to put off. I want to draw your attention to something wonderful that I just realized this summer. Our local farmer's market actually has a tool sharpening booth where you can take your knives or whatever it is that you need sharpened, even your lawnmower blade, to a dude who sits there and he's an expert in sharpening all the things. So check in around where you live to see if such a thing exists because it's always more fun to support a guy who might be your neighbor or at least live in the same town, and it allows you to support local business. Okay, the next thing I want you to evaluate. Have one really great skillet that you use all the time. It's not too big, it's not too small, it's your everyday skillet. Tools shouldn't be cheap. Spend some money so that you enjoy cooking. Spend money so that it's a pleasure to make a meal. 
but only have one really great skillet that you really, really love, you don't need 13. Because look, 13 cheap skillets could equal the price of two really fabulous ones. One of the reasons why expensive skillets are expensive is that they're made out of thicker metal and thicker metal will hold heat more evenly, which means your food will cook evenly. Remember the key here is pleasure in the process of cooking, not just the eating part, but the cooking part. Also, yeah, you don't want to store and organize 13 skillets anyways. Question number three. Do you have clutter in your kitchen that prevents it from being efficient and a joy to cook in? Assess the things you never use and get rid of them. Do you have plastic containers? Because I find they can be one of the biggest offenders of chaos in a kitchen. Toss those that don't seal or have cracks or missing lids. When you toss these, make sure you're paying attention to the recycle label on the bottom because most of them you can recycle. Okay, now back to the ones you're going to keep. Go ahead and stack them by size. Use dividers to stack the lids. And then make an effort to get rid of them slowly and replace all of them with glass. Couple reasons there. One, they usually stack easier. But two, glass is overall safer for food storage than plastic. And I love it because you can also warm up the food in the microwave without having to worry about chemicals from plastic containers migrating from the plastic into your food. I do want to mention a new product that I have found by a company called Stasher. Cook it, freeze it, store it. It's platinum silicone bags, and they can be, um, they're considered plastic-free, reusable storage, but you can cook in them. You can put them in the dishwasher, in the microwave, both in the fridge and the freezer. You can boil them in water on stovetops, and you can put them in the oven if you can even believe that. They come in many sizes, and I'll put a link to them on our Facebook group page. Last question, and it's the biggest one, I would guess. Do you have a process, a meal planning, shopping, and cooking process? And if you do, is it working for you? I'm going to tell you about my old process, which, by the way, worked just fine. First, have a space to write down your menu. When you're looking up ideas for what you're gonna make, I have a three ring binder that has plastic pages in it. And when I sit down and read my favorite magazine, oftentimes they have great recipes I wanna try. I stick them in a plastic page, I cook it, and then the family votes on whether it makes it in the book. Everything in the book is stuff we've already tried and we enjoy. It makes coming up with meal planning So much easier because I can always refer to the book. I write down on the inside of my pantry door because I've got a whiteboard there. Okay, I need to pause here and tell you something else that's so, so great. There's this wonderful product that I love called Idea Paint. And it's a clear chemical solution that gets painted over your regular paint You can't even tell it's there, except it's a little more shiny. And it makes that surface become a whiteboard. And that means like if your door is gray, it still looks gray. So it's sort of seamless in that you can't really tell that it's not your original door, but 
happy, 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 you can actually write on it and wipe it off with a erasable marker. It's one of my favorite things about my kitchen is how efficient that is. Now, I used to also do my grocery list on the top part of the door and the menu on the bottom. So that way I could take a picture of my list at the top before I went to the grocery store. And as I unloaded everything, I verified everything that I had envisioned for my menu for the week is now in the fridge and set to go. Having said that, a regular chalkboard, a whiteboard, any of those things work just as well. Wallies.com, W-A-L-L-I-E-S.com has vinyl decals actually for the wall and they can be removed and repositioned. They have chalkboard and dry erase style sheets. So that's another um, source that you might consider. Whatever you choose, I'm always a fan of keeping it inside the pantry because it's less visual clutter and when you close the door, everything is neat and tidy. Now let's introduce home automation into this scheme. My brilliant niece, Molly, in Eastern Washington drew my attention to the fact that every time I said the word A-L-E-X-A or hey, G-O-O-G-L-E, this podcast would stop so the device could start listening to what it is that you need. So alas, I had to pop in and change these things to Smart Home A for A-L-E-X-A, or Smart Home G instead of saying the word G-O-O-G-L-E, as to not frustrate every listener that owns a smart device. Especially important since a good portion of this podcast talks specifically about automation. Back to the process of cooking. My new process uses my smart home device A combined with an app called AnyList that syncs also to the same app on my husband's phone. It's the best thing ever. Suddenly, adding something to the list can be done by voice from any room in the house, making it so much easier. Even when I'm upstairs and I'm getting low, like on laundry detergent, for example, or my husband's out of saline solution, he can add it to the list. It syncs with my phone and his. And so when we're running into the grocery store, unexpectedly, middle of the day, he's like, babe, I'm going to stop at the store for some beer. He can look at the list on his phone and see what else we need without even so much as a text to me. It's the best thing since sliced bread. Add milk to the Fred Meyer list. I've put milk on Fred Meyer. Hey, babe, I ran into the store to get some beer and I saw that we needed milk, so I picked that up too. So as I'm taking the groceries out of the bag, I'm sort of referring to my menu that I've already created on the whiteboard that's on the door. And I know that everything I bought for the menu on the board is either in the pantry or in the fridge. Now, the reason why I like double check it is because sometimes when I get to the grocery store, there's something more appealing. There's something, I don't know, on sale or whatever. You've got a different inspiration happening. So you wanna make sure when you change your mind, And that stuff comes out of the bag if it's not what was originally on your list, that you're verifying that vision for your menu for the week is updated and solid. One thing I love about having the menu up on the board is if I'm running late and I make it home uh, from taekwondo or work later than expected, my husband's here. He just opens the door. He sees what's on the menu and he starts prepping it. 
it's sort of seamless that way. Everybody can pitch in no matter what age people live under your roof because everybody knows what you have planned, what you have food for, and there's no surprises and last minute trips to the grocery store, ideally. So do you remember that book that I was telling you about that I have the plastic pages in? I pull out those specific pages that I'm shopping for that I have planned that week and I put them inside the front cover in the little pocket. So everything is easy. I don't have to dig for it a second time. I know everything in there is for the week and then as I pull it out, I sit it in my cookbook holder as I'm cooking it and then when it goes back in the book, it goes in the binder part. So it's very concise and clean and an easy process. Another couple things to think about in the automation category is utilizing the grocery store's online ordering pickup and delivery services. Oftentimes the fees are minimal and it cuts down on impulse purchases. I love these especially when I'm really slammed when I've got several homes that are in the process for buying and selling. I don't have time to leisurely stroll through the grocery store midday. So a lot of times I will order ClickList through Fred Meyer and um, I see Target is also adding uh, lanes where you can order online and then stroll through and pick it up, which I think is fun and convenient and so interesting that they're getting into the game. Okay, on to process. I want to challenge you to cook your protein once and use it twice at least. So what does that mean? If you're grilling chicken, for example, double it. Do grilled chicken with corn on the cob and a salad, for example, one night. And then the next night, use the second portion of your already grilled chicken in another recipe, like street tacos, for example, or chicken Caesar salad. The more you can incorporate this method, the less you'll have to start from scratch every night. My husband loves meatloaf. Okay, I've developed a recipe that I use half ground lean turkey meat, half high quality lean beef, and I make a giant batch and we can do both leftovers and he loves meatloaf sandwiches. So it also does triple duty at lunchtime. Look, it's always the hardest to do something the first time, but the more you do them, the less you have to think about it. So just start with your food prep with only doubling your protein. I promise that food prep is not actually a bad word. Don't shut down when you hear me say that. If you haven't ever and you just cringed when you hear those words, hear me out. Double your protein and that way you're only cooking it every other day, sometimes less. I love this trick. It's like intro to food prep. Why am I even talking about food prepping? Because it frees up time for you to do something that you really love with the people that you love. Let's go on to the next topic, which is aesthetics in your kitchen. A fun little game I like to play with myself is to imagine that I'm listing my house to sell and I'm getting the kitchen ready for photography. It helps me to see my kitchen through different eyes and I aim for another level of pretty when I think of it in those terms. I have no idea why. It gets me out of the weeds. The biggest offender I've seen in most people's homes is stuff on the counter. And I don't mean a little. I mean a lot. Like so much crap. Whenever people walk into a home that has an almost completely bare countertop, the urge is there to create something delicious because it's 
blank. It's like a blank slate. You don't have to fight for counter space. It invites you in with open arms and asks you to enjoy yourself. I'm going to say something controversial here. Do you have a crock of utensils that sits out? Could you relocate those to a drawer next to the stove? How many large cooking spoons do you have? And how many do you really need? Do you have a junk drawer? If you do, I would challenge you to be rid of it. That's another whole podcast. But if you try to handle a couple of items in that drawer every single day until it's empty, that's a win. Is your toaster on the countertop? Could it be in the cupboard instead? I'm a fan of having three things out. The coffee maker, my recipe book that sits in its holder near the stove, and my knife block. I know people who swear by having a magnetic knife holder, which also gets the knife block up off the counter. I'm just trying to challenge how you think and how your kitchen functions. And you don't have to be married to all the crap that's on the counter, especially if you're not using it all. When you have an empty kitchen, a clean, tidy, empty countertop, it welcomes you to create food. And likewise, a clean, tidy fridge can also play a big role in how much you enjoy the process of cooking. That's also where the glass containers come into play and the stasher bags because they're clear It just looks good in the fridge when you've got a bunch of chopped up peppers and different things that are already cut up in advance. They're clear. So when you open up your fridge, it creates more pleasure. The neat and tidy fridge invites me to be more creative and use my food and enjoy the process. In this country, we throw away half of all of our food. 77% of people say they feel guilty about their food waste, but they don't seem to know how to reduce it. Simply storing food correctly and visibly can help you to reduce food waste. When you see what's in that leftover container, it's less likely to get buried and rot there for the next week before you discover and remember what was even in there. Let's all go and stand in front of our refrigerators if you can with the door open for a quick sec, unless of course you're on a commute, in which case you can revisit this later. The meat should be stored on the bottom shelf because juice can drip onto other foods. Obviously you want to avoid contamination, so you store it in some sort of a sealed container so there's no risk of contamination with anything else. Prepared food, like yogurts or butters or prepackaged stuff, should go on the top and the second shelf. This keeps them away from the raw foods and reduces the risk of cross-contamination. Now, the crisper drawers of the fridge should have your fruits and vegetables and salads because the airflow, the control of the airflow in those drawers increases the lifespan of that produce. The fridge's door is actually the warmest part and subject to the most variable temperature changes. So do avoid putting your dairy and your eggs there. Also, pay close attention to overfilling your fridge and your freezer, of course, because it limits airflow and that leads to warmer areas in your fridge. 
The other thing is make sure that your taller containers, like your orange juice container, don't block your air vents. Here's some more food for thought. Sometimes the kitchen can accumulate things because another area in your home is not pulling its own weight. My condo kitchen, for example, was always full of my mail and my purse and my husband's wallet. What we were missing was a proper mudroom or at least a space on the wall that functioned as a mudroom. We identified that these things didn't belong in the kitchen and created a space for them better suited for the comings and goings of our family. I bought a minimal vintage mail slot. It's like wire. And it hangs with two stacked spaces, one for him, one for me. This exercise required me to look at another space. The other space was the offender, but the stuff ended up in the kitchen. So sometimes to get the kitchen dialed, you need to look at what the offending items are and where they should actually live. Here are two things you can do this week. Start a binder to collect recipes that you love and that work well. You can go back to this binder over and over again. My favorite thing to do is tear out recipes from the magazines I love, make an adventure trying them, and then the family gets to vote. I already told you about that. Some of my favorite magazines are Sunset, Real Simple, Cooking Light, to name a few. I put them in plastic pages. You don't have to, but it helps for the protection from the slop and the food prep process. Look, I've tried to be more digital in this area, but I really don't like having to wake up my iPad every time that I want to refer back to where I'm at in the recipe. And I also don't like having the slop in and around my electronics. So I've found the old-fashioned plastic page protectors work for me. It's also fun for my son to get involved and be able to hold the recipe. It's tangible. It feels better. I'm all about apps and digital lists, but when the rubber hits the road, this old-fashioned binder has worked best for me. I've also heard people pose the question like, what are you making for dinner? I'm so over the 15 things that we make. Like we're tired of the same stuff, which blows my mind because I have a binder that's so full of ideas and I get inspired every time I open a magazine or a cookbook. There's just an unlimited number of adventures you can have with food out there. And my binder helps with that. I don't ever get stuck in a rut. I don't have to come up with something out of my mind that I'm going to make. I have a big book of reference. So that's really nice. It takes the pressure off. You're not reinventing the wheel, so to speak. Second thing you can do this week. Assess the things you never use in your kitchen and get rid of them. And don't lie to yourself. If you just aren't a baker, even though you really hope to be, but yeah, you've had an epiphany that brewing kombucha is really more your thing, and you still have all kinds of specialty baking stuff because you had too much wine at the Pampered Chef party eight years ago, let's make it a priority to free up that space. I love the Facebook page, Buy Nothing. There are groups all over the country specific to your geography, and you can post items there that you no longer need. Someone else who may enjoy baking can post that they would like to be chosen as the recipient, and if you choose them, oftentimes they come to pick them up. So it's almost no effort on your part to free up that space. My favorite part about it is it's easy to get your item in the hands of someone that needs it, will use it, and they aren't having to go out and spend money that they may or may not have. 
People give clothes and crockpots and plants and garden tools and bicycles and broccoli and custard. I mean, everything is on there. There's no limit to what you can give or receive. And it's neighborly since it's happening in hyper-local communities. Check out your local chapter and start gifting the items in your kitchen that are staring you in the face. Unused. Just one a day. Baby steps for the win. I have slowly gotten into the habit of making the week's worth of lunches on Sunday. And that makes our mornings during the week go so much more smoothly. I get snuggle time with my son every morning, which is the best because I don't know how long that's going to last. He's six. I know for sure that if I didn't pack lunches ahead of time, snuggle time would not be an option. Packing that far in advance also means having containers that won't allow smells and liquid to seep from one compartment into another. Because let me tell you what, that peanut butter and jelly on wheat could be pretty disgusting if the pickle juice went over to hang out from Sunday to Friday and then the poor kid had to take that to school. (laughs) Ew. So I love the bento box style containers, which keep compartments sealed and the lunch fresh all week long in our fridge. Baby steps, folks. If you can do just a couple of these things that I talked about today, it literally frees up time and it makes cooking in your kitchen more of a pleasure and less of a chore. Last thing, and I'm going to let you go. I want you to check to see if you have a fire extinguisher and if you do, what it is rated Not all fire extinguishers are created equal. In fact, there are many different fire extinguisher ratings for specific kinds of fires, and you're going to need a fire extinguisher with a K, as in kitchen, rating. So often, kitchen fires have grease or oil involved, and you need to make sure that the fire extinguisher you have will put these sorts of fires out. It'll be the best 30 bucks you ever spent. Thanks for hanging out with me today and chatting about creating a home that thrives. If you happen to live in the greater Portland metro area and you'd like to collaborate with me on a new home build, hire me as your home coach or as your realtor, reach out to me through social media or my website, spaceandreason.com, spelled out. Also, don't forget you can find the link to all this stuff that I talked about today on my Facebook group page called Home Space and Reason. What friends do you know that would enjoy this? Help me spread the word. Also, if you enjoyed this show, give me a shout out by rating the episode. It helps me to hear your feedback and choose future topics. Thanks for sitting in on this conversation about creating a home that thrives. I'll see you at the next episode. Have a great night. 